What is love? Well, as I've been preparing for this sermon over the last several weeks, I cannot seem to get a particular song out of my head. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. Uh, that song was an, a song by an obscure group called Hadaway. It was released in 1992. I had just gotten out of college. In every respect, you can consider that song a one-hit wonder. So a few years later, there was a Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live skit that was done by uh, Saturday Night Live that featured two actors, Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell, and they played brothers that were looking for love. They would go from nightclub to nightclub, and they kept striking out time and time again. In 1998, there was a movie that was created based upon that particular skit. It was called Night at the Roxbury. So throughout that entire movie, they played that particular song. What is love? Do we have a clip of it there, Amber? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Baby, don't hurt me. Isn't that ridiculous? What a ridiculous thing. You are laughing. I think you've, uh, you've probably seen the movie as well. You know what I think we should do as a church campus? Can we do this? Are you ready, Scott? Are you ready back there, Paul? Let's do this. Let's do the head tilt together. You ready? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. And then they have this like bump, bump, bump. Remember, they really get after it. Ridiculous stuff. So when I say the phrase, what is love, you have a lot of things running through your mind, right? We're just a week out from Valentine's Day. So I thought I'd share a few things that people have said about love. Someone said that love is like a toothache. You can't see it on an x-ray, but you know it's there. Another person said, you love flowers and you cut them. You love animals and you eat them. Now you tell me that you love me. I'm scared to death. <laughs> then, of course, there's that famous pickup line that, uh, that goes, do you believe in love at first sight, baby? Or should I walk by a second time? <laughs> right? So we're going to talk about love today. We're going to talk about a different kind of love. We're going to talk about God's love. God's love is different than that song that we can't seem to get out of our minds right now by Hathaway. It's different than the love that those silly brothers are seeking from Night at the Roxbury. It's different than a toothache. It's different than an emotion that conjures up inside us when someone walks by. God's love is different. What is love? What is God's love? Or put another way, how? How does God love you? How does God love me? Well, our text today is John 3, 14 through 21. We're starting a new series today. We're calling it An Invitation. An Invitation. God gives us the greatest invitation known to man. It's really more like a proposal. It's a proposal to embrace a greater love. So over the next seven weeks leading up to Easter, we want to discover how much greater God's love is than anything else that the world could offer, anything that we could pursue on our own. We want to make space 
in our lives to experience this love and find new and exciting ways to share it with others. Last week, Ross Langston shared with us the first half of this encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And we're going to continue this story today. Nicodemus was a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee. He came to Jesus at night in the secret of night with a pocket full of questions. He was a religious man, was Nicodemus, but he didn't get it. He knew the Jewish scripture. He was curious. He was very curious about where Jesus fit in. He could not understand how Jesus was performing these miracles. Nicodemus, in every respect, was a seeker. And Jesus lays it all out. He lays it all out for Nicodemus. He tells him what it means to be born again, what it means to be born of water and spirit. Jesus teaches Nicodemus about the kingdom of God, teaches him about heavenly things. Jesus describes himself as the son of man. Nicodemus' head is spinning all this information that he's taking in. So maybe you have viewed your faith as a set of rules as opposed to a relationship. Maybe you check the boxes with your faith, but you aren't really sure. You're not sure if you are born again as Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. Could Jesus be speaking to you in this text? Well, we learn that God is love in 1 John 4, 7, but how, how does God love you? How does God love me? Our passage today provides four ways that God loves you. Ross touched on John 3, 14, and 15 last week. Now, these two verses are critical to the context of our passage today, so we're going we're gonna to teach through them again. Jesus is right in the middle of this conversation with Nicodemus. He explains to Nicodemus in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What is love? God is love. God gives you a new life. Yes, God loves you so much that he provides a new life for you. Jesus explains this by referencing this story that Nicodemus knew very well. So the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness. They were completely relying on God for their health for their safety, for their well-being, for their food. However, they start to think God isn't doing right by them. They complain. Snakes infiltrate their camp. But Moses, their leader, comes to rescue. He steps in on their behalf. God provides the Israelites a new life. I'm going to start reading about this story from Numbers 21.4. We're going to read all the way through verse 9. But the people grew impatient on their way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned. They repent. He says, they said, we sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look 
at this snake and live. So Moses made a snake, made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake and they looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So think about that. Just like looking at the bronze snake on the pole, looking at Jesus and believing in Jesus brings life. God provides that new life through Jesus. Like the Israelites, we have a tendency to grumble, don't we? We complain things aren't going our way. We're sinners, just like the Israelites. We are destined for death, but God can provide us life. The text says Jesus is lifted up. In addition to this allusion that John makes to Numbers 21, he's referring to two specific truths related to Jesus. First of all, he's referring to Jesus' crucifixion, where Jesus is lifted up on the cross. Through the work of Jesus, through the death of Jesus on the cross, we have life. Jesus is obedient to God in his death. Jesus is also, or I'm sorry, John is also referring to the exaltation or the glorification of Jesus. He will return to the Father in heaven as he is lifted up or as he ascends to heaven. Luke describes the ascension of Jesus we see in Acts 1. Jesus suffers on the cross and Jesus is glorified. John says Jesus is lifted up so that those who believe may have eternal life. That's the purpose. This eternal life is both a reference to the eternity of life in heaven, but it's also a reference to the quality and the character of our lives on earth. God's kingdom can come in the life of a believer today. Today, you don't have to wait until you die to experience this. This new life for you in Christ brings hope, brings meaning, it brings clarity of purpose, deeper relationships, desire for obedience, brings about a newfound dependence on God. John uses the phrase eternal life 17 times in his gospel. And it occurs next in this very next verse. Now, this is probably the most famous verse in all of scripture. Let's read this verse together from the screen. John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is every kid's favorite verse. This was my favorite verse. This is your go-to. This is what you pull out when you're in a jam. This is the gospel, the entire gospel in one sentence. Amen? Amen. We could preach an entire sermon series on this verse, much less a sermon. What is love? God is love. He gives you his very best. God's love is huge. It is huge. It's expressed by him sending his son. Other translations say that Jesus uh, is the begotten son of God the Father. Jesus is special to God. He's beloved. He's unique. He's important. He's the only son that God the Father has. Jesus is God's very best in every respect. Think about this sacrifice for a minute. Jesus had communed in intimacy with the Father since the beginning of time, since creation. 
God sent Jesus away, sent Jesus to earth to die a human death. God sacrificed Jesus for you so that you would not perish, so that you would not die. Most scholars believe that John kind of takes the story here in verse 16 and runs with it all the way through verse 21. These are no longer the words of, of Jesus, most scholars would, would say. This is an editorial or commentary by John. I believe John wants his readers to remember the sacrifice of Abraham. So in the Old Testament, we learn about how God tests Abraham. Abraham and Sarah have been trying to have kids, and they are old people. They are old. Finally, God blesses them with a son, Isaac. And when Isaac is just a boy, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. He says in Genesis 22, 2, take your son, your only son, your son that you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. What? What? Can you believe that God asked that of, of Abraham? What a tall order that is. Abraham obeys, but God provides a lamb from the thicket as a substitute for Isaac. God stops Abraham right as he's getting ready to slay his son. You see, God sends his best. God sacrifices his best, just like the lamb was a substitute that Abraham used. Jesus is a substitute for you. Jesus is a substitute for me. John indicates that God loved the world. The word for world here in the Greek is cosmos. So he's referring to the whole world, the creative, created order, everybody, fallen humanity. God's love is indiscriminate. God's love is universal. It is not narrow to a particular type of person or a particular group of people. Now, in the, in the days of Jesus, the Jews felt like God's love was only for them. Thank goodness God's love is for everyone. Thank goodness that God's love is for the Gentiles, right? Thank goodness for that. Popular author and pastor John Piper says, God's love is spoken to and promised to and applied to everyone without exception. There are no limits to this offer. It goes out to all people of every ethnic group, every age, every socioeconomic category, and best of all, to every degree of sinner, every degree of sinner from bad to worst. God loves you. His love is for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. The great truth of God's love motivated his plan of salvation. Salvation is originated by God, not originated by man. But, but you must receive him. You must receive this invitation. You must receive God's love. As the Apostle John says, you must believe in Jesus. This is not just a passing thought. This is not just remembering the Bible stories from when you were a kid. It's not a recognition of Jesus. This is a commitment to Jesus, a dedication to Jesus, a relationship to Jesus. This is living through Jesus. 
1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, This is how God showed love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So John goes on uh, in this passage in verse 10, and he says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. He loved us first. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us first. The Apostle Paul describes how we are to receive this invitation from God along with the result of our response. Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? Amen. Our profession of faith in Jesus and his resurrection secures our salvation. What an incredible, unbelievable truth that is. John uses the word perish here in the text. This means to die, to die an eternal death, to die and go to a place called hell. Now, I believe we don't talk enough about hell in our churches today. Dying without a belief in Jesus results in a person going to hell. This is a real place. (laughs) This is a bad place. This is a place you don't want to go. You do not want to go there. John 3.16 is very clear. There are two options, perishing or eternal death and living or eternal life. You will die someday. We will all die someday. Your belief or your lack of belief in Jesus determines where you go. There's no third option, friends. There's no other way to heaven beyond a saving, convicted belief about Jesus Christ. I humbly ask you, do you believe in Jesus? (laughs) Is he your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in his resurrection, that he died and rose again? If you do, amen. Amen. Tell the world, tell the world that Jesus loves. If not, there's no better day than today. There's no better day than right now to accept God's very best. Wait, there's more. We're not done. You cannot separate John 3, 17 and 18 from verse 16. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name, believed in the name of God's one and only son. What is love? God is love. He gives you salvation. That's right, friends. God saves you. He does not condemn you. He did not send Jesus to earth to send you to hell. God sent Jesus to earth to send you to heaven. Other translations say God does not send Jesus to judge the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is the eternal judge. He becomes the judge to those who reject him. The world is divided into two groups, those who believe and those who do not believe. 
John 5, 27 says that Jesus has the authority from the Father to judge because he is the Son of Man. That said, God sent Jesus for you to have the opportunity to respond. You can respond to this invitation. He did not send Jesus to destroy the world. He is not an angry God. He is not a self-centered God. He is a loving, loving God. Unfortunately, the world was lost 2,000 years ago when God sent Jesus to earth. And friends, the world is lost today. On a personal level, you and I, we stand condemned by our sin. John says that those who do not believe stand condemned already. That's our present reality. That's where we are. However, there's hope. <laughs> there is hope. Paul writes in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation. That's our fate. That is our fate unless, unless we believe in Jesus, unless we have a settled, continued, persistent conviction about Jesus Christ. Human choice is crucial to our salvation. Yes, God gives you salvation, but you must receive him to be saved. God sent Jesus as the bridge to our salvation. Jesus is the true agent of God's love. Jesus is the demonstration of God's saving grace. Jesus is the method of our salvation. He's how we get to heaven. Think of all the different ways that God could have attempted to save you, all the different ways that he could have done that. Let's recognize the incredible uniqueness of this invitation that we have from God. Everyone makes a choice. Receive the invitation or reject the invitation. Trust and follow Jesus or trust and follow some lesser love. This is not a one-time decision. This is a lifetime decision. Will you love money? Will you love your personal success? Will you love the religious rules? Will you love worldly relationships? Will you love a lesser love? Or, or will you love Jesus? John 3, 19 through 21 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What is love? God is love. He gives you light to live by. John emphasizes his contrasting themes of light and darkness in these verses. Throughout all of John, John loves dualism. And in this case, what's called ethical dualism. John loves using contrasting concepts or themes to make a point. John's probably borrowing from ancient Jewish texts here, probably the Dead Sea Scrolls. There was a group of faithful Jews called the Essenes that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. They related good to light, and they related darkness to evil. They referred to the sons of light and the sons 
of darkness. The readers of John would have understood what he meant because they recalled these Jewish texts. The Lexham Theological Workbook describes light and darkness. Physically, light and darkness exist in metaphysical opposition. Light as an energy source provides illumination, leading to the ability to make visual distinctions among colors and physical objects. Darkness is the absence of light and color, whether as a place or a condition, which results in disorientation, distortion, and confusion. John indicates that the world was dark. People hid in the dark. They were blinded by the dark. They did not want to be exposed for who they were. They did not want to be exposed for how they behaved, what they had done. They avoided shame. People love darkness because of their inclination to sin. Darkness represents deception, alienation, despair, judgment, dread. John describes the world that Jesus came into as evil. It was an evil world. The world worshiped created things. The world did not worship the creator. The world had no knowledge of Jesus when he came. As they learned of him, they hated him. They hated Jesus. The Jews largely reject him. Darkness is connected to night. Darkness is bad. This is the state of the world. This is our state, who we are until we are introduced to Jesus. In contrast, Jesus represents light. Jesus illuminates the world with his radiance, his holiness, his purity, his perfection, his essence, his majesty, his splendor. Jesus states in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light is a blessing. Light is truth, righteousness, godliness, morality. Light is connected to day in Scripture. It's difficult to hide things in the day, isn't it? Those who are evil hate the light. They want to persist in darkness. They want to persist in their disobedience. God sent Jesus to expose sin, to create a change in lives, bring things under God's perfect illumination. Light is good. Light is good. Light represents the character of those who believe. It is our state of being once we believe in Jesus and accept Jesus into our life. Gerald Borchert, a New Testament scholar, writes, according to John, what one does reflects who one is. Darkness, hating, and doing evil together are set against the light, living by the truth and the works done through God. Although we are saved by faith, God does care about our deeds. He cares about our works. He cares about what we do. What we do reflects who we are. God sent Jesus to shed light into your dark world. Let me ask you, do you reflect the light of Jesus in your life? When someone observes your life, do they see Jesus? Do they see the light of Jesus or do you hide in darkness? What if you call that person at work that everyone else is avoiding, take him out to lunch? What if you pray for your friend that doesn't know Jesus? 
What if you shared your faith with your sister who's struggling right now with depression? God loves you. God shed his light upon you. Reflect that light on others. In John 3, 21, the apostle John says that we have truth to live by. Truth refers to something that is true, something that is sincere, something that holds integrity. Truth is the state of being real, the state of being genuine. Truth is attractive, isn't it? It's attractive in a relationship. Lies are off-putting. Lies deceive. Lies are deceptive. There's no falseness in truth. It is pure. It is right. Truth is good. John says, live by the truth of God. Living by truth is loving the light. It means to act faithfully, act honorably, live in obedience, do what is right, to be thoroughly tested by God and to stand approved. That is living by truth. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. People living by truth are living in God's good and pleasing and perfect will. They want others to see what they are doing, to see that they are doing what God wants them to do. The truth and revelation of Jesus can be like a magnet, kind of pull people to it. People are drawn to the truth. The truth is extremely crucial. It's crucial to those who need it. John says that the truth is plain to see. God sees the truth. It's not hidden. It is in the light. And the greatest truth of all, friends, is the good news of Jesus Christ. The greatest truth of all, of all truths, is the gospel of Jesus. We are taking this journey through the book of John this entire year, not so we can get smarter, not just for our own knowledge, but so we can learn to live and love like Jesus. We want to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we want to resource you with all the different ways that you can continue to grow to be more like Jesus. Tonight, tonight, this very night, we will be offering our first teaching night of 2020. It's going to be on our Newburgh campus. We are focusing on the invitation that we have to pursue a greater love by making time to live and love like Jesus. Over the next 40 days leading up to Easter, we want you to live intentionally, to live intentionally, to make space in your life for this greater love from God. We are going to share about the practice of Lent. Now, Lent is not just a Catholic thing. Lent is not just avoiding chocolate or staying off social media. Lent is a focused time of remembering the greatest of all loves, God's love. Also, over the next several weeks, we're going to challenge you. We're going to challenge our entire congregation. We want you to join us in this effort to transform a village in Kenya through the partnership with Africa Hope, we want you to consider, please consider sponsoring a child. By making small sacrifices each week, we can make a huge 
significant eternal difference in the life of a child, in the life of a family, in the life of an entire community. Our financial sponsorship and prayer will make a lasting difference. I hope and I pray that you join us tonight at Newburgh for our first teaching night. And I hope and pray that over the next few weeks that you will lean into what God has for us here at Crossroads. God is love. God is love, and he loves you. His love is different. It's different than that song that we still can't get out of our heads, right, if I had a way. It's different than the love that those silly brothers from the night at the rocks bury are seeking. God's love is different than a toothache. It's different than that emotion it conjures up inside us when we see someone walk by. This passage can be summarized in one sentence. You ready for it? You ready for it? Here it is. Let's say it together. God saves you because he loves you. Emphasis on you. God saves you and you and you and you because he loves you. God loves the world, and that's awesome. That's great. It's an indiscriminate love. It's a universal love. But you know what matters to me? God loves me. God loves me, and God loves you. John Piper writes, God wants you to know yourself loved, not with just the universal love of John 3.16, but also with his death conquering, hardness, removing, rebellion, eradicating, sight, imparting, faith-creating, personal, individual, invincible covenant love of which we are absolutely undeserving. You see, friends, God makes an invitation to you. What are you going to do with God's love? God loves you. And that, that, my friends, that is why he saves you. Let's pray. God, what an amazing truth that is that you love us. We rest in that love, God. May we take that love in. May we accept Jesus. You sent your very best to die on the cross for every person in this room, no matter who they are, no matter how they live, no matter what they do, you sent Jesus for everyone. And we thank you for that, God. May we accept Jesus in our lives. May he be our Lord and Savior. And once we've done that, God, may we tell the world, may we shout it from the rooftops that you love us We want to give you all the praise, God, and we do that in Jesus' name. Amen.